Hey there, fellow listeners. It's Jackie. If you're listening to the Premier Shells podcast, have you ever wondered what time do we record this podcast at? Usually we're up deep into the early hours of the morning when our homes are asleep and quiet. Rahul, can you tell our listeners how we managed to stay awake to do this? A lot of coffee, but it has to be good coffee. We only drink the very best in kickoff coffee. If you've not heard of them, they're a coffee company for soccer fans whose mission is to celebrate the beautiful game through top quality roasted coffee. Each bag you purchase actually helps support grassroots soccer in the U.S. and Colombia. To get yourself a bag today, head over to kickoffcoffeecoat.com and use our code TPCOFFEE5 for 5% off your order. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston. I have Rahul here from Stamford, Connecticut, and Alex from Waterville, Maine. Welcome back, Alex. We've missed you. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. Uh, schoolwork has finally uh, taken a downturn, and I think I know that next year I have to tell professors that there's no no assignments are allowed to be due during podcast time. <laughs> I support that motion right there. Rahul, I'm glad you're uh, you're here as well, and I'm sure you're excited to have Alex back. I am. That's the only, well, apart from us qualifying, that's the only other excitement in my life right now. I always try to drag out these intros, and you always try to jump right into some of the bad news that we have to share. On these just gotta, you just got to bite the bullet and go for it. Well, since we've jumped right into it, I guess so. Yep, we have qualified for the Champions League. We finished in the top four, but probably not on our own merit, I would say. Right, Rahul? Definitely not. We did everything not to qualify, <laughs> uh, but Spurs and Gareth Bale said, no, you guys deserve it, so here you go. Yep, Alex, I think it was uh, nail-biting towards the last few minutes, and then Gareth Bale came out of nowhere, and he's like, let me help these guys go through. Yeah, that was funny. I saw him. Um, apparently, he made some press comments sort of supporting Hazard after the abuse he got for the, the UCL, joking around with Chelsea players. Apparently, he's just feeling generous towards towards <laughs> Chelsea legends, Chelsea the club. I don't know. He's He's decided to really give us some gifts this week. So, you know, got to thank him. I was screaming when he scored that goal. Um, and maybe would have been nicer to get it done. But the result is, in the end, uh, essentially the same. So, Raul, why don't you take us through the 2-1 loss to Aston Villa and who the starting eleven was? It was a strong team. I, Apart from Conte, who missed out from injury, it was Mendy in goal, Reese James, Thiago Silva, and Rudiger, Reese James in his newfound right centre-back position. Aspilicueta in the right wing back, Jorginho, Kovacic, and Ben Chilwell, Mason Mount, Pulisic, and Timo Werner. Yeah, so it's a pretty strong squad, and Timo Werner keeping his position lately as our starting striker. Pulisic and Mount have been really, really good in the last few games, so glad to see them on there. And honestly, Alex, I'll bring you in here, because you and I have had some love we've poured upon Jorginho and even Kovacic for most of the season, especially since Tuchel's come on. But they seem off the off the beat today, didn't they? Yeah, I think it's tough because Kovacic was in very, very good form. He was performing week in, week out. I mean, there were calls that he was in the running for for player of the season, um, perhaps. He was just really consistently bringing our midfield up a class. But then I think it's tough with the injury because he got thrown in last game, I believe it was. Um, was it was it the our prior match where yeah, the he... the last game. There you go. Um and I think, was he also partially at fault, arguably a little bit for a goal there? Or am I thinking of the wrong? No, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there you go. It's I, I'm almost blending it together because I feel like it is tough um, when you have a player who you know can be so crucial to your midfield and great on a good day, but he's coming off an injury into clearly the most intense and high stakes part of the season. And right. I don't know. I wonder if maybe that's where someone like, Lee Gilmore could be useful. Um, but again, always easy as an armchair critic after the loss, because surely Kovacic, as you said, it's strong team. Surely you expect Kovacic to go out there and get it done. Yeah. Like, like you've said, like we touched on, I mean, overall it is a strong team, but we have played a lot of football this season, guys. It's like Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, it keeps happening and they're quick and fast. Rahul, your thoughts real quickly before you take us for the first half. On the Kovacic and Jorginho piece? Yes, yep. 
Yeah, well, it's easy, like Alex said, to to complain about it now, but you can see that Jorginho is kind of on the downward trend. Uh, he was doing well, was consistent, and I think ever since that Man City game, to be fair, most of the squad's been average since then, apart from that Leicester game uh, last time around. I think it's easy to pick on those two because they're like in the heart of the team. Right. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, they didn't have the best games and it was shown by the fact that they both got subbed around the hour mark. Yeah, and we were we we're light in the middle as well. I think Alex just mentioned Billy Gilmore. Other than him and Conte sitting out, we really don't have an out-and-out central midfielder. But first half, not too much to talk about. Rahul, anything you want to summarize there? I mean, the only thing, guys, again, is we dominate. We start very well. We're pushing Villa back. Commentator is going crazy about how good Chelsea are playing. But we don't really have anything to show for it. We have a couple of chances, but uh, it's the wrong person taking the shot. It's falling to Espelicueta, who's basically playing as a winger. Uh, so just not working out. And you just know the longer it goes on, nil-nil, the other team's going to grow into it and come back and do what they do is score. Yeah, Alex, I don't want to talk too much about Manchester City because we'll do a separate episode for the Champions League. But... It almost feels like this is a trend now and a better team will definitely punish us. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely does feel like that. Um, I mean, for a while we've been saying how good of a job Tuchel has been doing defensively, but how we're still seeing the sort of classic Chelsea issue that we've seen for a few seasons running now of I mean, if in statistical terms, underperforming our expected goals. That was a I've got that state stat for a little later, but I mean, just not quite making use of these dominant periods because I mean, I, someone messaged me uh, earlier today during the game when I said on my story, like, it's good that we at least look like we're trying to attack because I think sometimes Chelsea show up and they look like they're still sleeping. Right. Um, so I was glad that, I mean, my <laughs> my dad was not quite happy with Mason Mount ripping shots that were going wild at the beginning, but I was I was pleased at least that the team seemed to have in their mind the goal of coming out and scoring early. The issue is when that doesn't translate to an actual goal, as this person who messaged me said, what really is the use of your period of domination? Yeah, it can be frustrating definitely to watch. Rahul, I think you texted me right after the first half saying, crossing, crossing, crossing to who? I mean, you've got Timo Warner, Pulisic, Mason Mount, not the tallest guys out there, and they're crossing to each other, and others are crossing to them, and you wanted Giroud on. It did. Well, because that was one of the tactics, was it was going out wide to Espelicueta, and we were stretching the play, and it was going wide, it was coming back in as a cross, and Tyrone Mings and I think uh, Consa were just cleaning it up, eating it up, and were just comfortable doing what they were doing by heading the ball. And like I said to you, and I think I said it to Alex too, Timo Werner is never going to win that header, no. Ulisic will do his best, but he's not going to win it. Mason Mount, same thing. So you almost needed that presence. And I put it on our Instagram too when eventually he didn't come on it. It's, it was beyond me how Giroud didn't even see a minute of this game. Yeah, and if he's not going to see a minute, maybe tactically we should have done something slightly different rather than just crossing the ball in and out, in and out. But I mean, go through that first half like we talked about. Nothing too crazy to report. Go into that second half and... It seems like Villa came out alive, Alex. Yeah, that's, I mean, it was, as we said, it was so, so predictable that we spend a period really on top and dominating things. And then the other team says, all right, that was nice. Hope you've enjoyed your possession, your shots. Um, how about a goal? Uh, there you go. And as soon as you go one goal behind, you're really, you're really struggling. Um, and I think that was another, I mean, then you're making substitutions trying to salvage the game, maybe as opposed to trying to make the tactical switches you had in mind to sort of see out the game plan. It shifts everything. The players start to panic a little bit. I mean, especially in a game of this magnitude where they didn't know the results of the other teams. Um, so I think it's easy to forget maybe that in the midst of all this gameplay, the players probably had no clue at different points during this match. I'm sure people updated them at, at certain points, but the players didn't have a clue whether they were safe or not in terms of the spot in the top floor. So I, I did feel like the wheels sort of came off and that's, we were most threatening before that, that first goal. 
Yeah, I'll hang on to a couple of words you've said. The magnitude of this game, and they did not know the results here. The fact that this was, Rahul, I think you've described it as a final many times, and our team almost didn't care. I hesitate to say those words, but they didn't have that energy that we saw against Leicester in the FA Cup final where we were missing that final product and that final energy. It's almost like they didn't care. And the way the goal came almost summarized that. Bertrand Traore, ex-Chelsea player, comes to haunt us from, <laughs> from a low corner driven into the ground, and no one's marking him. Thoughts on that one, Rahul? I don't know if we went to sleep or it was just a very well-worked corner. But like you said, he starts off behind our defenders, like closer to the uh, far post, and then just loops around and slowly like comes around and bangs it in. The ball bounces off the ground and goes in, and you're thinking like no one wanted to pick him up. It's It was just crazy. But Villa worked it out, and they saw whatever they saw in training and our uh, defending, zonal defending, that there is an opportunity for this kind of goal. And I'd rather concede it now than next weekend. But it's concerning because, like you said, I think a couple of minutes ago, is we concede that first goal and then we just somehow mentally have this block that we can't overcome. We've only overcome it once against City a few weeks ago. But before that, it was, uh, I believe, Southampton. We tied that game. It was um, the Porto game. We lost that. It was at the end, but we still lost it. And now, again, we've seen it with Arsenal. We've seen it with Villa. We've seen it with Leicester in the FA Cup final. It's almost becoming a trend, and it's a concerning trend for me because we were doing very well holding teams and getting a goal, but now we seem to just give up a goal and then can't come back. Yeah, that was uh, – you. You as we were describing that, I was trying to think about how I would describe the goal, and then I remembered that my TV glitched out and shut off, <laughs> and I turned it back on, and Chelsea were down, and I was like, where did that come from? Um, it was – completely completely bad and I, I was also going to say maybe you shouldn't have described this game as a final given Chelsea's recent record yeah I finals. think I should change my it's just a friendly next weekend guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah honestly oh now they'll now they'll go out maybe we'll finally get those QPR highlights from the like, 6-0 win or whatever at the beginning um but yeah that's oh wow I I agree with you it's been a recurring theme and it's something that I've thought for a while especially with the player types that we have they just work better when we have space to play in. Um, and I was saying that about Polisic as well after the game about all our attacking players. It's we have speed. Timo Werner, he's got speed. He is not the one you want with many defenders to beat. Right. Um, it's just tough tactically. And I think we do need a solution to it. Yeah, and one thing we need to talk about as well, guys, was an injury that happened in that first half where Mendy actually, what was the wet way to describe it, Rahul? He bumped his ribs into the post. Yeah, it was the ball was so close to hitting the post that he dies and basically hits his lower, upper lower body or just his, under his ribs against the the post and he comes off. Yeah, so he's off. Kepa comes on, and that's worrying signs for next week. We don't talk too much about next week. We're trying to just save that for a special episode we're going to do. But Kepa comes on, and of course we're going into the second half here and. I guess we give away a penalty to that man again, Bertrand Traority. <laughs> it's like he came back to haunt us like really, really well. So, Raul, you want to walk us through that incident? Yeah, I think it came off of a Aston Villa corner. They worked it well. It comes back to Grealish. He puts it in for Traore. Jorginho, to his credit, was trying to get to the ball before him. A soft penalty, to be honest, but it's one where if you're putting a challenge into a box and the player goes down, it's most likely going to be given unless it's for Chelsea. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where as a fan, I'm saying, no, it's not, but I would have wanted it for us too. So it's kind of the right call and they go two up from there. Yeah. Alex, do you think it was the right call? Yeah, I think it, I think it was. Um, and I was, I was bemoaning some of these referee decisions also after the game uh, with a friend and it was maybe, it's tough to accept because then we, we look back at that Werner no call penalty in our most recent game and you say, Hmm. So if these, if these soft little touches in the box are, you know, but a, a clear kick in the box, if that's a penalty it seems all the more reason that should have been given. So I've, I will fully admit I'm a little salty uh, about the refereeing <laughs> situation. And if, for, if you will permit me uh, to get a little saltier, might I just say that I think this week has been a horrendous, horrendous showcase of 
the refereeing standards that we've been discussing, obviously, in England, because as I was sort of explaining to my friend, it's regardless of the results, like our, our good result against Leicester sort of overshadowed the fact that in that game, there was a clear error in the decision that on another day absolutely could have cost us. Um, and that result, which you would just call it maybe a six pointer in that it was against Leicester, another one of our rivals going for the top four, that result was critical, especially given this Aston Villa result. That's what has us in the Champions League right now. And that's why Leicester are out. So we had an FA Cup that you could argue was wrongly awarded to Leicester thanks to refereeing decisions. You then had another game that could have gone against us. And then you had this game. Um, you know, there was, I don't, I don't know if we had written down the handball call to discuss, but again, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm ranting again because I'm mad, but I think, I don't know what you guys think about the standards here. And do you know what's interesting, Alex and Rahul, is that many people wonder, oh, Chelsea finished fifth, fourth. And I'm not saying for us seasoned football fans out there, fifth and fourth to somebody who's not necessarily watching football week in, week out and trying to get into it. Oh, you finished fifth, you finished fourth. There's millions, I repeat, millions of pounds and dollars at stake between fourth and fifth. The difference between playing Champions League and playing Europa League, no disrespect. Obviously, we love still watching Europa League, but it's the financial outcome of finishing fourth and qualifying for the Champions League rather than finishing fifth and not qualifying and missing out on some of that financial incentives. But, I mean, to touch on what you're saying, Alex, I'm not a big fan of the refereeing decision, specifically VAR, I think. It seems to be more inconsistent and since there's more human elements introduced into it rather than computer i mean goal line technology was introduced and we i don't think anybody has really complained since that technology came into effect because it's whether the ball crossed the line yes or no it's a standard decision every single time it never gets it wrong with var i understand the thinking behind it but you've added three human beings three perspectives people are arguing discussing and then giving their opinion so it gets a little bit messy a little bit mixed i mean rahul i'll get your your thoughts on that one as well I've said it in the past, and I'll say it again. For the best league in the world, we have the worst refereeing uh, in 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 the Premier League, and that's concerning. So I know a lot of teams will go out and make improvements to their squads this summer. I think the refereeing has to improve significantly. I think the some of the laws that VAR uses have to improve significantly, and it just needs to be clear. Like you said, with goal line, it's either a goal or it's not. In most of these VAR calls, there needs to be a yes or a no kind of situation not leave it up to what that particular referee thinks of uh and i the handball decision that alex is touching on i mean they didn't give it because they say his hand was next to him it was tyrone mings the, the shot comes in from Havertz. but if that hand isn't there the ball's going into the net so literally at that point what is the handball it prevented the ball from going in and we may get into it in the in a second or two but that's the kind of calls you need to say well what was going to happen if that ball didn't touch the hand yeah i mean let's get into it because we've brought it up now and we're having that discussion i think one of the reasons this is so frustrating is because we've seen var give that for other games and other teams which is where the inconsistency comes in so i think alex you had hinted on that earlier if that decision is not given or given it's the difference between fourth and fifth obviously today that discussion's out the door because tottenham saves us but if that decision isn't given and we don't get another goal, we're all back into the fifth position. It becomes a bigger issue. And then again, millions and millions of dollars on the line. So my issue again is around consistency. I want to get your thoughts on that handball incident. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously reflexively, my, my instinct was, of course, it's a handball. I was, I was on the edge of my seat that whole game. And then I, I can recognize my bias. So I step back and I was like, okay, if that were given like against us, whatever, would I, would I be saying the same thing? Like how clear do I really think it is? Um, but as much as I do agree, it's difficult because like his hand was largely at his side. It's so difficult to react. And when you're moving around, trying to put your body in front of the ball, I can appreciate that you're not always aware of exactly where your hand is. Um, but as you said, it, it comes down to the fact that as both of you guys have said, it's, it's a ball that hits a hand that would have gone into the net. It's as simple as that. And I don't know, maybe we, we had a very similar, um, what, what was really ironic to me, and I thought was some poetic justice perhaps, was for that, um, that Spurs uh, winning goal 
during which Harry Kane dribbled around the Spurs team. And I kept looking back up and down between the Chelsea and Spurs game. And over the course of like 10 seconds, Harry Kane got into the box with the ball. Then I looked away. I looked back. He was still in the box with the ball, not having put it on net. And then I looked back up. I looked down. And somehow Spurs still hadn't got a shot off, but then Bale drives it in. And during that sequence, Harry Kane had the ball pop off of his hand. Um, my dad instantly said, that's being ruled out. Uh, my friend who was there said, okay, that's not good. Yeah, they'll probably review it. VAR, we know how... how dodgy they are with the handball rule but Leicester fans were then crying afterwards but apparently because it didn't directly lead to a goal uh so to speak there the 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 claim was thrown out and it was okay because yes Kane slightly handled the ball but then he dribbled around for 10 seconds before finding the pass that led to the goal now that makes me wonder perhaps if we're remembering uh that FA Cup final uh what was that if not a handball directly leading to a goal? So I was very much enjoying watching Leicester fans um, flood social media <laughs> with their tears after a handball did not directly lead to the goal as judged by the, the official rule because we that was yet another way in which we were hurt significantly by decisions. Yeah, and it's just another example of the inconsistency of one game versus another game where what do you define? And Raul, it's, it's touching on what you're saying. Can they have clear rules where it's a yes or no? Not if maybe it affected play, maybe it didn't affect play, maybe his toenail was offside, maybe his toenail was on. I mean, you have to get to a point where it's a yes or no call and, and that's the end of it. Um, any wrapping thoughts up from you, Raul? No, I, I think, I mean, <laughs> VAR is VAR and it, there's a lot of improvements and upgrades that need to happen this summer with them. And then they need to come out before the season and be clear about what the rules are, because I think we started this season with one set of rules. And then midway through, they said, actually, you know what? We've realized those were wrong. Now we're going to switch them up. It's Then it confuses people. So just start off and continue on the same path. Yeah. And one other point we need to move on to, guys, is, yeah, we conceded two goals, but we did get a consolation goal in the form of Ben Chilwell scoring that goal. And, of course, we just talked about goal line technology, ruling it as a goal. When we had discussions early on in the season, Ben Chilwell was Lampard's first choice. When Tuchel came in, Ben Chilwell kind of fell off to the side. Alonso became his first choice. Rahul, I'll ask you a question here for a few seconds. Tuchel, or I mean, we had discussed this and said the reason Alonso's in there is because attacking-wise, he seems to be a little bit better than Chilwell, and Chilwell defensively was better than Alonso, and we've moved to a back three. We don't need to worry about defensively. We need to go, you know, start scoring goals. Chilwell in the last few weeks has slowly become maybe one of Tuchel's first choice players and seems to be contributing week in, week out with goal involvements and goals. It's almost like Tuchel almost raised his game a level or maybe bringing Alonso back into the fold has raised his game a level. No, it absolutely has. And I was watching an interview he did, Chilwell did. He said he wasn't used to playing left wing back, which we know. Uh, and he took the... Uh, dropping that he, you know, when Tuzo came in, he dropped him and Mace, uh, Marcus Alonso came in. He took that as a learning moment. You know, most players sometimes take that as this guy doesn't fancy me. Why am I even going to bother? But he said, I took that as a moment. I spoke to Marcus Alonso himself and asked him, what can I do to improve as a left wing back? And Alonso helped him. And we're, we're reaping the benefits of that right now, because let's be honest, Chilwell is a much better player than Alonso is. And no no yeah. disrespect to Alonso. I think it's just different characteristics, but Joel fits that position a little bit better now. So uh, credit to him and credit to Alonso for helping out a, a rival that eventually came in and took his spot. Yeah, I was going to mention that mentality. I think he'd said originally when he got dropped, he was, I didn't know actually that he'd been talking to Alonso. I find that very funny, as you said, because that's it's Alonso shooting himself in the foot by improving <laughs> his direct competitor. But I, I mean, respect to him, respect to Alonso, obviously, for that. I'd seen Chilwell say that he also talked to Tuchel himself um, and basically asked tactically how he was expected to alter his game to fit as a left wing back, which just in all of this, I do think, I mean, even from just the moment he came in, I think Chelsea fans have always sort of realized that Ben Chilwell is just such a positive influence. He's got a great outlook, um, clearly has a good head on his shoulders. 
he's constantly when when you'll you'll see those funny videos of Chelsea players joking around with each other or laughing in training and he's always you know making people smile he's talking to everyone on the team he just seems like a very I mean really he seems like the model footballer in that sense in that he's like shows up he gets his job done and at the same time he's a great personality and contributes to the team culture and unlike many 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 players whose egos uh, will sort of overshadow maybe their their rational thinking he responds to something that completely breaks some players in in getting dropped um i mean that can derail careers if the player just starts getting angry and and whatnot but he completely completely took it as a learning opportunity which you just do not see every day i was very impressed honestly and i hope he maintains this level just to add on the chillwell love guys i think it's also great to see Alonzo and him getting along because I think even though they're direct com- com- competition for that same position, they can only help each other improve because it's not like Alonzo fell out completely back into the call. They almost rotated given we had so much football and you could see they could keep a consistent position on the left side of the, of the game. And so for me, it's something nice to see when the two of them get along and not just them, like you said, Alex, I've seen so many videos on social media from Ben Chilwell on how positive he is joking with the team. When Timo Werner came in, he was having fun with him even with Billy Gilmore, they hang out just to get everybody moving. And I think having a personality like that in the team, no matter what happens with different managers and different squad players and all, it's always good to see. And if he can stay with Chelsea for a few seasons, almost like a David Luiz, continuing that jovial energy and getting people excited about coming to Chelsea, I think that's always going to be great. But another thing we want to talk about, guys, here is the red card. And there's some colorful language here for anybody who doesn't know. We use a little document as a guide. There's some colorful language about Jack Grealish. I'm not going to read out the colorful language here, but Rahul, do you have something to say about Jack Grealish and the red card? Can I use my colorful language? (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) He, man, he just annoyed me, frustrated me all game. He was like, I don't know. I was just very annoyed by his whole presence in that game. Um, and the fact that he didn't pick up a booking at all even annoys me further because he put in some very heavy tackles on Jorginho, Kovacic, Mount, and then he acted like, oh, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, you absolutely <laughs> knew what you were doing. And then he, I think he lost an eye in that Escalaqueta thing. <laughs> he rolled around like he was shot or something and then gets up and is totally fine. Like, I'm very frustrated with, with Greeley. So- there's some comparisons made of Jack Grealish looking similar to Orlando Bloom. So maybe he needs to go back to acting and leave football to some I, of the I football guess players. So, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say he's, he's picked up that one part of Neymar's game. Um, he doesn't constantly maybe emulate quite the, the same skill level. Obviously he's a, he's a very skilled player, but it does. It's so, so annoying to play against. Um, and yeah, as you said, the, the, it really, it does come down to a theme of inconsistency um, when you see Timo Werner being penalized for his first slightly uh, questionable tackle, and then Jack Grealish can come flying in. Um, I mean, I remember, I forget who it was precisely. It was a few games back, maybe several games back. There was a challenge on Timo that was possibly a borderline red card, um, but Timo got out of the way in time. So it didn't end Sterling. up being, there you go. Okay. Um, yeah. And people were saying like, okay, but if, if, if Warner keeps his foot down and that gets cleaned out, VAR looks at that and says, that's a red card. It was just like, it's not, you know, he was a victim of the fact that he got out didn't completely make a meal of it. And he got out of the way. And it's similar with, I saw a clip of Grealish. Absolutely. I think it was Grealish taking out Mason Mount. Um when players get out of the way of these challenges, you still have to, to some degree, hold them responsible for completely recklessly diving in because, you know, sooner or later, a player's not going to be quite quick-footed enough to avoid serious harm. And then there's a long-term injury and everyone starts pointing fingers, but I don't know. It's, it is something that is another way that the game and the officiating of it has been notably inconsistent. Uh, recently and in general and you know we actually discussed this on one of our previous episodes as well where we said does that mean players need to fake go down to get a result or and in this case we're talking about Jack Grealish I mean when I saw Aspilicueta's hand move he barely grazed him in my opinion again I may be a little biased but he barely grazed him and he was rolling around I said okay I mean worst case scenario 
if he felt like that was facial contact or whatnot, maybe yellow card. But the fact there was a, a direct red, I was sitting there scratching my head. I wasn't irritated because it was the 90th minute or so towards the end of the game. So I was like, it is what it is. It's the last game of the season. But standard officiating is probably needed across the board and something needs to be done to kind of figure that out across. The, we, I mean, we don't want to get into refereeing decisions again, but Rahul, your, your last wrap up on, on the red card, red card or not. It's a tough one. I, I, I looked at it the first time and he, I think Espelicueta is just trying to hold him off because he's about to fall on him. But then you're like, Aspie knows that he's coming down and maybe he wanted to just like, I don't know, maybe he was annoyed with him as much as I was. Yeah, not, the, not the player who I'm most mad to see take a hit to the face at the end. Right. Yeah. Um, and maybe Aspie was like, you know what, we're anyway going through, but Gareth Bale's done the business. So. <laughs> well, so that's a good topic to segue into before we talk about our last piece over here was we were losing 2-1 and we were actually putting considerable effort to try and get that second goal. But I think it was the 85th minute or something like that, where it was 4-2 towards Tottenham. And you can actually see Tuchel from the bench, sit down, take a breath. And he starts telling his players, he's like, it's over. Don't worry about it. Like, there's no need for anybody to try anything fancy. There's no need to get an injury. I found that interesting just from my perspective, because as a fan, I want to win every single game. But Alex, what are your thoughts on Tuchel's management of that particular incident? I honestly, um, I hadn't, I hadn't fully noticed the extent to which he did that, but from what you said, I think that's, I don't know, maybe it would annoy some people, but I see that as like exactly what you want your coach to do because there are times, um, there are times in the season and during there are times within games, there are times within the whole season, within competitions that you need 100% effort and focus and drive from your players. Um, and while I think we would all love our, our teams to show up um, and, and deliver 100% every single game and always play to our full potential, I think we have to accept that we're not always going to get a thousand percent foot on the gas constantly. And we saw that happen um, this game. So in a game like this, where it's been frustrating, um, the end result isn't going to change this massive financial uh, difference of making champions league or not um, the prestige, obviously with the result essentially decided. I honestly think that's, that's great management because I, I don't know. I feel like you want to save your, your ultimate, ultimate motivation for the times when you absolutely positively need it. And the injury point is a great one too, that, I mean, I don't, I don't want to see Christian Pulisic trying a triple elastico rainbow skill move combo and getting two footed in the box and having to be stretchered off because he thought that we needed a goal or something. I, you know, it's, I don't want to read into it too much maybe because I think the players out there are always going to try their best, but I'm glad he did it. And Rahul, I think maybe it's something that comes with being an experienced manager where it's like, let's look at the Premier League season since I've come in in January as a whole We've got to our objective. Why chase a, a draw for for no better result? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm not reading too much into it. Like we were down to ten men. We were playing Reese James and Mason Mount as our two central midfielders. Uh, so if he knew at that point that game was done and all we needed to do was hold on for a couple more minutes, let Villa get their win, uh, and we walk away without any more injuries, like Alex was saying, or any further damage than. That's totally fine with me. I don't think he was in the 70th minute saying, all right, guys, it's okay. We're done here. Uh, it was towards the end. And I think he was just like, it's been a bad day. We got lucky. Let's just get out of here without any further damage. Well, I was going to say, even on goal differential, because they went two goals down, Lester did, If they even if they'd come back and equalized um, and we'd still had lost, we would have still been sitting on plus two goal differential, I think. Right or by the end, or actually by salvaging that goal, would we have been on, I don't know, um, but we would have been above Leicester on goal differential. So, you know, maybe that's another reason you say, okay, we don't need, like, we're not asking Reese James to start throwing himself into the box, like not conceding a goal could actually strategically help us um, if Leicester pulled two goals out of nowhere. So I don't know. I agree. I don't think we should read too much into it, but I've loved everything I've seen from Tuchel's management and, and in-game, at least the in-game outlook and mannerisms that we've seen Alex I'm going to stick with you because one thing that happened after the game of course it ended 2-1 but it seems like Christian Pulisic gets quite a bit of flack on social media and 
sometimes it's not really warranted. It, you don't know where it's coming from. I mean, the team as a whole today didn't really step up. In previous games, when we don't perform, it's not Pulisic or Mount or Chilwell. It's just the team as a whole doesn't perform. I, I personally can't single out too many individuals, but Pulisic gets a lot of hate. And I'm wondering if you can shed some light on this. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, obviously, big, dumb, controversial voices. Maybe they don't, they, they speak loudly, but they don't represent too many fans. Um, and that's what we see with, with certain Twitter accounts uh, who I have now taken personal issue with. Um, I actually followed one of the slanderous accounts in question so that I can continue to express my beliefs about the uh, content. But I think it's, it's so tough because everyone's angry after a game. And it's also, you can understand, it's tough to judge maybe fans on what they say in the, in the hour after a, a frustrating loss like this, because obviously we're all looking for, for answers to some degree. We're looking to pinpoint, okay, this went wrong. And I think to some degree, people, people want to feel like, well, it's okay. We can still absolutely beat, say, Man City. Or, okay, no, our squad's fine. It's just this little error. I think it's a lot easier to feel good about yourself if you you can pinpoint exactly what's wrong um and it's maybe maybe people don't like the idea that like even if we put out a good lineup and the players don't really do a ton wrong we can still lose but i mean that's the game and i think that's what we had to to realize was the expected goals um I had it somewhere for I, I I'm not sure I have it anymore. It said it was like three over three expected goals uh, for Chelsea, just over one um, for Villa. That included a a penalty kick. So, but but we're sitting here, and the problem isn't isn't Pulisic. Yes, he had a quiet game, but I maintain that the problem is we don't have a traditional number nine putting in those chances, and that just puts so much pressure on people like Pulisic to perform every single match. Rahul, Pulisic is, is an enigma over here. He's got a lot of talent. And every time I turn on ESPN or any of the U.S.-based sports reporting, he's in the news. And I think it's because he's one of those rare talents that come out of the U.S. in, in recent time. And I say rare for Pulisic because he was probably the first of that group. But now the U.S. men's team is really falling through with some core, amazing talent. But he seems to be on the forefront of everybody's mind. And do you think just him being somebody who's coming as that new breed of talent from the U.S. men's team it's probably just on the eyes and the mouths and the ears of everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And he plays for one of the biggest teams in the world. He plays for a team in a league that's very well covered in the U.S. Uh, so I think it's easier for people to get their eyes on him and see what he's up to. And I guess in a way, he set himself such a high standard that when he has one of these off games, people are ready to jump on his backs because they expect him to carry us. And that's unfair, like Alex was saying. You can't expect one guy to carry a team of 11 when everyone else is bad and he's not able to do that. We've got to say it was a, it was a team effort. When we win, it's a right. team effort. When we lose, it's a team effort. Yes, particular players can be bad, but I don't think Pulisic was one of them today. Alex, before the podcast started, we were talking about Pulisic and how he gets compared to Eden Hazard, like, Every other game, they're, they're talking about, oh, he looks like Hazard when he does this or that. But I think you said he's not really a Hazard-type player, right? Yeah, I mean, it was. I was almost ready to let this, let, let this go. And then I pull out Twitter for two seconds before this episode, and the top tweet says, Pulisic is a good player, but he's never going to be close to Eden Hazard's level. He's not offering the same things um, and whatever. It, it was phrased in a way that seemed... Um, slightly uh, dismissive of Pulisic's ability. And I think it's tough because nobody really asked him for him to be compared to Eden Hazard. Um, he certainly was, was shirking these comparisons. I don't think even the, the hyped U.S. fanboys wanted to, to, to put crazy pressure on him, even though we all do just by, by loving him and promoting him and following him intensely, as you guys have mentioned. But I don't know. It's and and Tuchel did say that it's true when you when you take the number ten, um, perhaps the number ten shirt. Uh, that's that's another indicator that well you do have to be okay with some pressure being put on you in comparisons to good players. But I was mentioning before that I think the issue is Hazard. He was he was so he was so good, and just he had like an element of magic to him that could that could grab a game, even one in which we were underperforming. 
and either make us feel like we could win it right into the last minute or actually win it or salvage a result. And I think Hazard almost spoiled us Chelsea fans into feeling that, well, it's okay. Whenever we're, we're down a goal, one of our creative wingers is just going to dribble seven players and score a beauty. Um, I mean, even as he was leaving, he had that fantastic goal against West Ham. We're just out of absolutely nothing from the midfield. Um, Hazard just danced through a bunch of people and casually slotted it in. It's He sets a crazy high bar, and Pulisic sets a high bar of himself, but I think it's almost, it, it really is tough to try to expect any of our creative players. Pulisic, Mount, who who had a quiet day-to-day, so to speak, um, in an attacking sense. Uh, Timo Werner, even Havertz, um, who was, looked bright when he came on. I feel like these players would be absolutely helped with a more traditional center forward. Do you know what's interesting about the Aiden Hazard and Pulisic comparison is I think when Pulisic joined Chelsea, he came into, and no disrespect to any of our Chelsea team players, was he came into a transitionary period where we were changing out some key players, bringing in some youth. When Hazard came in, we had the likes of John Terry, Frank Lampard, Juan Mata, Ramirez, David Luiz. I mean, we had an established team. And from there, when Jose Mourinho came in, we signed players who were ready to go in Diego Costa and Cesc Fabregas added to that core squad where at that point, Eden Hazard was free to just roam and take the game by the neck, like you say, and just score goals. When Pulisic's come in, we're transitioning in young players. There's change. He was signed for a manager that didn't know that they signed him. There was a lot of things that are going around. And then you add injury issues. I think if this Chelsea squad with a couple of these players that you've mentioned, the likes of Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, we've got some nice center backs in uh, Thiago Silva, who's a little bit older, but has signed for another year. Now, if they can keep the core going, I think Pulisic will benefit from that. And we can see more of the magic that people are looking for, but to compare him to Aiden Hazard, I think people are missing the mark on what Aiden had around him when he arrived at the club versus what Pulisic does not have. And that's missing that stability in some of those players. But Rahul, your thoughts really quickly on that. I think it's unfair to compare him to Hazard. I, Hazard, like you said, came into a better team, came into a better situation, and didn't have those injury problems that Pulisic has had this season or last season. So it's tough, and I think as fans, we always expect you know, the new shiny player to be what our our legend was in Hazard. But it's it's tough, and it's only been two seasons, and in that two seasons, he's been in and out. He's had a, two managers already, so... We've got to give Pulisic a little bit more time, but from what we've seen when he can be good, it's very good. Uh, And when it's bad, it's something that he's got to improve and take it out of his game. Yeah, that was just to sort of sum that up for any any Pulisic lovers who are hanging with us during this podcast. I, um, somebody after, uh, someone else on, on Twitter, I, I don't normally go through Twitter. It certainly got my blood pressure up a little bit. Maybe (laughs) I, maybe I don't need to do that after every match, but, um, Someone said, has Pulisic done anything since his goal in Madrid? Question mark, question mark. And I said, I don't know, just sealed our spot in the UCL final with an assist against Madrid um, and got our only assist today. And then I said, of course, we know he can play better, but none of our attackers have been consistently good um, because people, people are criticizing Pulisic as if there are, as if our, and our team is stacked with talents, but our team is not stacked with consistently performing attacking players. And there was a, a, a thing that I posted as well that said in the last 13 appearances, Pulisic has had seven goals and assists in all competitions in the same period. Timo has had six, Mason Mount has had five, Kai Havertz had, has had four, and Ziyech has had two. So it's no hate on any of these players, but Pulisic is to some degree a victim of his own high ceiling. And as soon as we have a slightly sketchy game, um, people start thinking, Oh my God, it's his job to bail us out. I think patience is the key. And as I, as I told this person at the end, which he, he liked it. So, so I think hopefully I calmed him down in that regard. I said, just to give Pulisic time, because every time I try to be somewhat rational um, and every time people freak out about Pulisic's future, about his injuries, about anything, I try to just calm everybody down because I feel like that's my duty uh, to, to the Pulisic community, keep everybody chill and let the guy do his stuff because everyone said he wouldn't start under Lampard. He was getting left out of the squad and frozen out. They said he needed to leave clubs because of like his first month at Chelsea. Um, And then he earned his spot. They said he wasn't scoring enough goals. He went on a crazy run at the end of the season and got us Champions League. They said he got injured too much. And now he's staying fit match in, match out, playing 90 minutes repeatedly. 
I think it's just patience is key. He's so young. Yep. He's only 22. So give him time for anybody listening. Pulisic will come through. I mean, a lot of our players will come through. It's going to take some time to meld all of this talent together, but guys really quickly, I know it was a tough day, but we've got champions league. We're moving forward for next season. Man of the match, Alex, you first. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Gareth Bale here. Did the most to help <laughs> us out of any player. Though I will say, honorable mention, though, for Chilwell. Um, obviously, he scored the goal. Pulisic assist, by the way, for those still hating on him. But he scored the goal. Um, and as you guys have been saying, he's just transformed into quite a complete player. Um, he's not really dropping disaster classes. Even in our worst games, he looks marked vintage Marcus Alonso like in his in his goal <laughs> threat so I'm loving that good to hear Rahul are you sticking with Gareth Bale as well <laughs> I, I might as well but I, I was gonna go for Chilwell and I didn't see that I'm sorry I, stole <laughs> no, no. I didn't even I was, see that I was gonna say for everything that Alex has mentioned that's what I was gonna say so we can move on yeah I'm gonna give it to Mason Mount guys and I say his name quite a bit on this podcast but I was watching him playing in the final third then he got moved into the middle he was defending deep attacking towards the last few minutes I mean this guy is Chelsea through and through and and was brilliant so Mason Mount for me again Chilwell Gareth Bale gave him an honorable mention as well with that goal there so good on that but that wraps it up on the 2-1 we want to talk about a couple of other results and we'll start with the Spurs (laughs) segment here this game was very interesting, guys, and the fact that when the day started, Leicester was winning and Spurs came back twice to beat them 4-2. And of course, as we've discussed, the 4-2, two goals coming from Gareth Bale himself enables us to stay in fourth. So thank you, Bale. Thank you, Tottenham Hotspur. Rahul? As, as Thiago Silva's wife said, we love Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> we was- most certainly do for today. Yeah, it was it was an entertaining game. I had that one on. I had the Liverpool one, and I had ours on. And uh, towards the end of it, I was just watching the Leicester one because that had all the action in it. Um, and like you said, Bale comes on and scores in the eighty seventh minute, which was exciting because we were like, "All right, three two And then Leicester kept pushing. And that final goal—if you haven't seen it, guys—Garrett Bale's final goal is—he just runs through that whole team, hits the post plays a one-two off of it and and bangs it in. So thank you, Bale, again. And he said he has some big news about his career and he's going to release it after the Euros because it's going to cause a lot of chaos. So maybe he's moving... Honorary Chelsea contract? Yeah, maybe he's moving across (laughs) London. I like that idea. I didn't hear that. Um, Yeah, I was just going to say my... um, I I was fixated on screaming at the TV for the Chelsea match. Um, and my dad, who was in the room, had his iPad going with the Spurs match. And he said Spurs um, looked like they were the team playing with Champions League qualification on the line. So it is, I suppose they did have a, a little victory in themselves. And that I believe they leapfrogged Arsenal with that result, um, which personally is, is is good for them in their rivalry. And that kicked Arsenal out of Europe entirely, I believe. Um, but, you know, it, it does, it just... It makes me a little bit sad uh, still. I I am an optimist generally, but it makes me a little bit sad that Tottenham Hotspur and and this season's Tottenham Hotspur and Gareth Bale of all people are the ones who were playing like they had a Champions League game on the line and who who put in a a performance against, no disrespect to Villa, a stronger team in Leicester uh, probably. Yeah, and if Tottenham continue to do that, I'll take that as long as we finish ahead of them every season. So thank you. Before again. we move on, I just I saw one of um Alex's, I was gonna say Pulisic FC story, Alex's story. <laughs> um, and his dad had the blanket on, and I was like, if this is what works for us, this is what he's gotta do. <laughs> yeah, the Chelsea flag. Normally we have that on the flagpole, but um <laughs> uh, my mom inquired as to why he hadn't flown the Chelsea flag on match day. He said I did last time and we lost, so <laughs> clearly it's a bad omen. <laughs> That's funny. No, I love those stories. Raul, you said you had Liverpool on on another screen. They comfortably beat Crystal Palace 2-0? They did. It was an easy win for them. They picked up a couple more injuries, as it is in their case, but uh, they've turned it around. And I know when we do our uh, full season review, we've got to talk about Liverpool because after everything they'd been through earlier this season, earlier this year, for them to come back and finish third and finish above us is slightly embarrassing uh but it is what it is we still make the champions league 
Yeah, that was, I was, I will fully admit this was a, a situation I was very salty and that I was looking at when Liverpool had only scored one goal, I was I bemoaning the fact that they didn't even deserve to be winning their game. They hadn't even scored a goal of their own. Like why are, uh, why are Chelsea the ones who are positioned to lose out of the champions league? Obviously you could say because Liverpool kept a clean sheet. That is one thing that we did not manage to do this game. So I, I don't know. It's, I will, I will fully admit I enjoy watching Liverpool suffer um, especially after how their, their fans, some of my close friends who are their fans acted after that 30 year title wait, um, you would think they were serial title winners, um, but you know you have to hand it to them that after a very tough season they've come out and finished so strong because I've sort of been sitting here. I, I do think they need to reinvest in the squad, and I've been saying that. I did. I predicted absolutely ahead of time that they wouldn't win, um, but their big players get the job done when it counts. Um, and I don't know. That's something that we did not quite have today. <laughs> And Alex, you, you said, speaking of serial winners, Manchester City win the title again, but this time, last day of the season, nothing to play for, They're comfortably at the top of the table, 5-0 win against Everton. And some beautiful scenes. Yes, we're not Manchester City fans here, but some beautiful scenes when the trophy presentation goes out. And we had to give an honorable mention to this man in Sergio Aguero, who will be leaving the Premier League and going to Barcelona. It's confirmed now. But incredible, incredible scenes. And for them to turn up and win 5-0 when there's nothing on the line, big statement of intent from Man City, right, Alex? Yeah, that's that's scary. But in a weird way, I don't know if I said it after last episode, after, after the cameras had cut, I made some dumb prediction about how we're going to lose the Aston Villa game, but then we're just saving like the Pulisic triple hat trick uh, in the Champions League, uh, whatever. But yeah. All I'm saying is I feel like Chelsea sometimes go into these games that people say are winnable and mess them up beyond belief. And then weirdly, whenever the game, whenever people say Chelsea are really in trouble, they somehow find a way to pull it off. So I'm hoping for a continuation of that. As am I. Rahul, your thoughts on the 5 nail thumping? They just, it's a machine that just keeps turning out uh, result after result. And I think you had said they played their B team, but they really didn't because they had <laughs> De Bruyne, Foden, Mares, Jesus, Sterling, Diaz, Stones. So they played a full full strength team. And I think that was because they had fans back and it was Aguero's last game. And you've got to give a mention, like you said to Aguero, he leaves the Premier League with the record of scoring the most goals for one club, 184 and wow. he was actually behind Rooney uh, coming in. I won, right? Yeah, coming into this match day, and he comes on for the final 30 minutes and bangs in two goals. Wow, incredible. So now he's broken that record as well before he you has. And, uh, go ahead. And I was just going to say for, I mean, he's not your traditional English center forward, but to score 184 Premier League goals and not be considered, you know, like he's that little guy, he's, he's good. And yeah. I wish we had gone for him when we back in the day, but yeah. And I'll throw one thing out there. Guerra, when he signed his last contract extension, stated he would not leave Manchester City till he won the Champions League with them. And he's leaving Manchester City, and we're oh. going to the Champions League final on Saturday. We'll talk more about that in the next episode. But I wanted to throw that little bomb on top of you guys before we moved on. You know, it's <laughs> almost like midnight. I'm trying to sleep now. <laughs> oh boy. So it's an interesting, interesting set of statements. But we'll quickly jump on to the next game in West Ham 3, Southampton nil. And Southampton had started this season on fire and have really ended in a, in a shocking position. West Ham, on the other end, brilliant season for them, a lot to be said. Rahul, any thoughts on that one? You've got to commend West Ham and David Moyes, man. They almost got relegated last season. And the fact that they've come back and finished sixth and only two points off of us in fourth it's takes some uh, hard work and, you know, motivation from him and to do it on a very limited budget with one striker and Antonio. We, I know we say we don't have the, the forward yeah. at number nine, but wow. West Ham and Moyes are showing that you can get goals from everywhere else and make it work. Yeah. Alex, your thoughts on Southampton maybe, because they were flying high at the beginning of the season. They're now finishing right above relegation. Yeah. I mean, there was a, I forget exactly who it was, but one of the commentators on, uh, it might've been on the NBC network afterwards 
wherever I was watching the game was, was saying something about how over the course of the season, you definitely do see generally the bigger teams. Um, I think they were actually mentioning that in the context of the Leicester game, that these bigger, more well-funded, more well-established teams, frequently the, the traditional big six, you do have these fairy tale stories. Any team can beat another on their day, but the squad depth, the, just the, the level of really just the resources they have in terms of players, in terms of training, in terms of everything they have just lets them maybe get over the final hurdle, the littlest bit more comfortably. And they were saying that Lester towards the end of that game. I mean, as you said, Spurs came back twice. Lester had the, had the advantage um, and then they just sort of looked to tire. They looked like they didn't quite have it in them. And, you know, when your only option to come off the bench and save the game is Amarte, I mean, that's how you know you're really in trouble. For anybody who doesn't know, that player has really cut Alex deep. And so <laughs> he's going to bring him up every time. Yeah, I forgot. I, oh, I, was, I forgot I even posted more Amarte slander after the game today when I was in a a vile mood following that Pulisic, those Pulisic comments. I decided to, to continue the cycle of violence. So. <laughs> yeah, I actually, it was funny. I had one of my, I had one of my followers DM'd me after that Amarte incident and said, didn't you take a break from social media to stop online abuse? <laughs> and I, I thought about it for a minute. And I was like, okay, you know, I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from. Now, I, I would argue this. It's different. He disrespected us first. Um, and I think, I mean, on a serious note, I think the, the, the online abuse, I mean, in terms of like racism, death threats, personal attacks, that kind of stuff is, is really what people are getting at. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to be, be called a, a, a toxic account if that's what it takes to keep trying to take shots at Amarte. I'll, I'll take it. A little bit of banter between fans never hurt anybody. So that's all fine and, and fun in games. But we'll move on to the last result that happened, which was business as usual. Manchester United 2, Wolves 1. Wolves are at home. And Rahul, you want to talk about Manchester United's away record this season? I Yes, I do. <laughs> they have now gone a full season without losing away from home. So that's a commendable record. And I would love to have that because that would mean that we would be closer to the top than we were uh, but for someone that we've mocked and, and said they need to do better with Ole I think we've got to give credit to them where they finished and even in this game they didn't play their full strength team but they find a way to come back and win it so uh, something for them to build upon next season but we'll review that once we get into uh, our full season review. Yeah, and one quick thing about Wolves is Nuno Esperto Santos, Santos, apologies, who is their manager, has announced that he will be leaving Wolves at the end of the season. So looking to see if he's going to stay in the Premier League. We know that Tottenham are looking for a manager and some other clubs out there. So it's going to be interesting. But Alex, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, clearly you have to commend him for what he's done. He's turned them, I mean, I just a couple seasons ago, they weren't really on the map. Right. Um, at least the, the very modern map, obviously they do have some history, but um, they really did just sort of come onto the scene with a lot of talented players and exciting play style. Um, I remember they were, they were scoring a lot of goals. They, there were memes made about how they were essentially the Portuguese national team because they had all these flashy, talented players from Portugal, but you just have to commend how they've handled themselves and, I don't know, especially it's just yet another story of this. This may be not quite big six team, um, certainly don't have the resources, but they're still making a good show of themselves and they can give any of these big boys a complete, complete battle to the end um, in any game. So respect to them and respect to him. I think it will be interesting to see how how he would do at Spurs. And they did that without their main striker and Raul Jimenez, who had a major injury. So hopefully he's back next season and Wolverhampton continue with the new manager. Yeah, I, I think so too. And the other team we've got to look out for that might threaten the top six is Leeds United. And like we said, we'll touch on every team and every um, manager and stuff in our full season review when we do that next week after the Champions League. But for now, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels. 
We're available on Google's uh, podcast, Spotify, Apple, and Anchor, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. And if you don't follow Alex already, it's at Pulisic FC, and you can get some top Amarte content on there. Uh, and if you do listen on Apple, please leave us a review, and we'll give you a shout-out on our next episode. But until then, uh, stay safe and up the Chels. <laughs>